Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out by Gold Medal Squared. Before the show started, I wanted to talk to you guys about some upcoming things that we're doing with Gold Medal Squared Beach. There's a player's virtual training session run by Casey Patterson on May 9th from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, any players that you're coaching that want to join, there'll be uh, a lot of good info that you can learn from Casey. And then uh, Betsy Flint, Joe Trinzi, and myself will be running a coaches workshop series May 11th, May 13th, May 18th, and May 20th from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern. And the links and info will be in the show notes. And there'll be a lot of valuable info for, for coaches. And we'll dive into the beach game. So if you're interested, we'd love to have you. Again, check out the show notes for uh, the info on the prices and, and the registration. All right, enjoy the show. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. Today, we're excited to welcome back on the show two-time Olympian and all-around amazing person, Courtney Thompson. Courtney, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm uh, really stoked to be here. So the la last time we had you on, you were prepping for the Olympics in Rio. I, I know it's been, I guess, uh, there's probably been a lot of things that have gone on, but can you fill us <laughs> in on what you've been up to since the Rio? Yeah, so, man, it's, it feels great and also another lifetime ago. Uh, but I am, I'm back in Seattle and I work for a company called compete to create. So we work with corporations on how to formally train your mind for high performance, uh, which is really fun and engaging and get to meet a lot of cool people and kind of still stay in the science behind like training your mind and being on the edge of what's comfortable. So that's really fun. And, and then do, you know, some volleyball stuff with gold medal squared on the side and coach clinics on the side and. Yeah, a little bit of everything and enjoying being home in Seattle near like friends and family. Yeah, it sounds good. And I know you're close to family now with all that's going on with the coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, very close, as we all are. Too close. So, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's, it's so interesting. I don't know if this happened for you guys, and I think a lot of coaches can resonate with this too, but there's kind of that initial shock of like, oh my gosh, this is like really happening. And it's so not what you know you planned for or kind of expected. And then part of me was like, oh, this is when we get good. Like, oh, I can adjust. Like, I've, I've dealt with unknowns before. We've done, you know. And there's been a few uh, coaches that I've talked to that um, I thought that was kind of a fun shift. So now I was like, all right, how can we adjust? How can we figure this out? And that part of it um, has been kind of a fun challenge, I think. Do you think athletes are more suited for, like, this sort of adversity? Does it transfer, you know, from sport to yeah. this big a life thing? Yeah, I, I certainly think they're more uh, apt than they probably give themselves credit for. Like, I, I was talking to a group at UW a while ago that were graduating seniors, you know, and they're like, we're going into this world and there's unknowns and we've never done this before and we're not really sure how to, you know, what's going to happen. And I just remember thinking, like, you guys deal with unknowns more than anybody, you know, mm -hmm. and you're in this, like, pressure cooker of uh, – putting yourself out there physically, mentally, and emotionally without a guarantee of what's going to happen. So there's constant adjusting and I'm going to put it all into this basket and then, Oh, that didn't work. I'm going to reroute. So I think more than we think, you know, and if, if I've learned anything too, uh, I mean, everyone, we're all just trying to figure it out, you know, but I, I do think so many of the lessons that we learn in sport translate to, uh, to yeah, everything in life for sure. What we're going through now. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's good to pull on uh, all that we've gone through. So we wanted to go through a, a topic of passion. And, and when we thought of you, we think of you as a player, as a person, even you know now that you're not competing anymore. We think of someone who has a ton of passion. I'm wondering what it means to you to do something with passion. Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, I hope to be. I'm certainly drawn to people that are like fired up to, you know, whatever they're doing in life. Uh, so for me, I don't know. I, I I think I just try to have fun. Like when I think of having passion, I think of it coming from like my gut, you know, that kind of that feeling of like, dang, I don't know if I can do that, but I really want to see what that's all about. And so, yeah, some of it's just like a challenge that I might be into. And in other, in other ways, it's like what you're just curious about. And for so long, that was sport for me. And I loved it. I also have like ton of interest outside of that. And, uh, yeah, so it's been fun to be able to follow some other things and explore that as well. And uh, Angela Duckworth defines grit as passion uh, plus perseverance. Do you think one part of that equation is more important? Um, what do you think about, I guess, her definition of grit and passion's role? Yeah, I thought that book was awesome. You know, And one of the things that she talked about was uh, people that do really difficult things, it's like they've built up this level of passion that they're, they're willing to do what it takes when it gets really difficult. And often, like with kids, we forget to like let that fun part, you know, the capacity of fun and like their love for the sport get fostered to grow big enough to be able to withstand like all the challenges that are coming. Uh, yeah. So I forget the question now that I'm geeking out. Oh, what do, what do I think is harder? Sorry. <laughs> I think um, probably passion. You know, I think for me, you know, in my career, the most challenging thing was to consistently bring like fire every day. And uh, I'm honored when people say like, yeah, you're intense and you get after it and you always played with fire. And there were so many days that that was really challenging for me. Or I was thinking like, dude, this is like what I'm all about and I don't have it today. So what am I going to do? And I got to dig deeper, find other ways to add value. And when I think of uh, passion, I think of bringing that kind of extra special piece that makes all of us who we are. And so, you know, mine is very vocal and loud and kind of like big aggressive movements, hopefully a lot of joy and laughter too. Um, but it shows up in different ways. So however people tap into that little extra piece of them when they feel most alive, I think is the most challenging. Um, cause to, I mean, to, to persevere and to do difficult things to me more is like just showing up and you can do that kind of like a shell of yourself or you can do it fully engaged and alive. So I think passion's harder. Yeah. I like that. You said, uh, it might, show up different and different players. How have you seen maybe some of your less vocal um, teammates display passion in other ways? Yeah, I, I mean, I think to me, it's like how you engage with the moment. So if you think of like, man, there's so many, like Jordan Larson, you know, uh, one of the best outside hitters in the world for so long. And if you look at the two of us play, we're very different or Feluca. And for those guys, maybe it's like, uh, yeah, I guess the passion and, and what they bring to to each play, to each moment. And so it doesn't have to be vocal. It's more of like the intensity or the, I don't know, the drive behind it kind of, you know, whether it's how they connect with teammates or whether it's like with laughter or an intensity of focus, being super technical, like strategizing better than most people. Like I think on a team, you need all of that, you know, uh, same thing in a family, like you all bring kind of a different slice. So I think the best you can be as a team is when you're all tapping into yourself, um, ourselves as individuals and bringing that out as much as possible. 
And it's probably a hard thing to measure, but if you're, say you're a coach evaluating and trying to pick your, your team or recruiting and trying to bring in players, would you put passion on a higher scale or, or you know, something like talent that's maybe easier to evaluate? Yeah, well, that's, that's a good question. I mean, you can be passionate about, I could be passionate about tennis and, you know, be awful. <laughs> so at some point, <laughs> like, true. it doesn't help you pass better necessarily. I do think, um, yeah, I mean, you need a certain amount of skill for sure. I think you can teach passion, though. And I think you can help people get out of their own way and, like, in, enhance what's already within them, in a sense. You know, and, uh, I mean, Angela talks about what kills passion is fear and fatigue, you know, so learning how to take care of yourself and recover in a, in a really world-class way so that you can bring that day to day. And then the fear part of it is like all those stories or narratives or negative thought patterns that kind of get in our way. So I think you can help kids and athletes at any age understand how to, how to tap into what they're already passionate about. So you need skill level for sure. I also think you can teach passion though. Do you think the fear part is uh, coach-driven or is it more self-driven? Where does where does that come from? Uh, probably both. I think like, you know, what we do now, we talk a lot about like the science behind our brain and there's so many people that know more than me, but I do know that we have sort of a negative bias already. Like our brain is wired to keep us alive and uh, scan the world for threats and what's dangerous. And I know when you're in a in an environment where it feels like a threat, like a, a sports you know a sports game that you're not quite feeling prepared for, or you just care a lot of, about it and you haven't had the experience or the tools to kind of understand what's happening, your brain's gonna like get in the way. So I think a lot of it's like uh, human nature and how we're wired, which is one reason I really like what I get to do now because it's uh, it helps people understand like, hey, our brain's supposed to do this. You know, and when I was a younger athlete and I would get nervous and you kind of have the extra rattle in your body and your thoughts are negative and all of a sudden it's like, man, I feel like I've never set a ball before. Uh, you know, I can't do what I do every day and practice. What is happening? I just felt like it was me, like I was weak, like nobody else uh, had ever experienced this before, you know, and, and now knowing what I know, it's like a, a really natural human response. So what, what would have helped you then? What would you have wanted to hear? I would have wanted to hear that... Uh, the reason you feel this way is because you care about this moment, which is awesome. And your body's getting activated to go do something that's really special. And if, if you have too much activation, it's going to hurt you, but you need a little bit to go play your best. So for me, like, I think the judgment on that used to like compound it, you know? So like if I compare my two Olympic experiences, one before I kind of understood this and one after, you know, it was like in my first Olympics coming off the bench, uh, you know, it was like that moment when the coach says, hey, you're going in. And you're like, yeah, sweet. This is amazing. And in the next breath, you're like, holy, you know, mm -hmm. oh, shit. <laughs> What's about to go down right now? You know, like, what if this? What if this? What if this? And your brain starts to go kind of in a different direction. And uh, and then it was like, hey, wait, why am I nervous? I shouldn't be this nervous. Like, what if, you know, and you try to get back to the moment. And certainly I, I trained some of that. But uh, it kind of felt like I was battling myself a lot in the London Olympics. And I did okay, but I didn't feel like I completely owned the moment, you know? And contrast that to the Rio Olympics coming off the bench in that same moment, you know, hey, you're going in. I would have kind of that same physical response, like your heart rate goes up, your palms get a little sweaty. But then I was like, oh, okay, so my body's getting ready to do something like beautiful and amazing, and I need it to get like hyped up. So that's good. 
And then I've trained this. So now I'm going to start breathing and I'm going to go to this one thought, you know, or re-engage with my teammates, kind of get out of my head. And it was almost like, a, oh, sweet. How lucky am I to feel this? You know, which is really like how you're framing kind of the experience. And uh, I think like mindset around those kind of experiences or thing is something you can train just like we train our platform. And so if I've trained to have a good platform every single day, if I've trained to have like a good mindset every day in the gym, you get in these moments that we care about and it's just fun, you know? Yeah, it's a really cool way to, to frame it. And so if passion is something uh, like a skill that can be learned, what can we do as coaches to create an environment that brings out passion in our teams? You know, I think, uh, is it, it's so challenging as a coach because there's I just wish you'd had so much more time with each person, right? But there's an aspect where you're creating a culture to be uh, on fire and fun and competitive. So I think for a coach getting really clear on what they want the culture to feel like, you know, when when someone walks in the gym and the best the best teams I've played on, there was a sense that like you walked in the locker room or the the video room or on the court and it was just like this like you could feel it, you know, you, I think we all know when we're in a good culture and when we're in a culture that feels just kind of dead, you know? So however they might do that, whether it's music or having really competitive drills or fun things to kick practice off, or the kids are bringing, you know, each week, three kids bring like a two minute YouTube video that fired them up about anything really. So we're like tapping into that. And then, so part of it's the culture piece. And then I think the other part is like getting to know your athletes and I, I, I mess this up a lot as a captain and as a leader. Um, but I think when I did it well, it was less of like, I think we should do it this way. And more of like, I want to learn from that player what they're passionate about and like why they love this game and when their happiest moments on the court are and what the meaning is behind it. And if I could understand that, then it was like, oh, that's how, and if I can like, help them tap into that day to day or remind them of the same things that they care about the most. Then I was like, okay, now we're going somewhere. So I don't know if that's uh, a little too vague, but to me, that's how I, I try to approach it. And then do you think it's a passion's a sustainable entity, you know, keeping all this fire, all this energy through the ups and downs, the stresses, the monotony of, of, (laughs) you know, maybe multiple seasons with the same players, man. No, that's the challenge, right? I think within ourselves and with others, like it's always the challenge, but, uh, to me, it's like, I mean, it's like anything you're going to have days where you have less energy or, you know, like I said early, like I had days where I was like, dude, I'm like the passionate one and I'm not feeling it today. So I got to figure something out. And there's a, a fun challenge in that in sports. Is it like that idea of like the team doesn't care how you feel. You got to show up and do your best. So on those days, I think it's about being creative, about trying to add value in different ways again, not judging yourself too much. Like it's, it's human nature. You can't be high all the time. And then also recovering really well outside of the gym. So if there were like too many days of that in a row for me, I think that's good information of like, okay, I'm, I'm not getting something outside of this to like hit the reset button enough, you know, but, uh, there's always the ebbs and flows. And I think the, the great ones navigate those with, uh, authenticity and, and doing what they can to be passionate. How about the, uh, you can talk about ebbs and flow. There's a huge, I guess, ebb right now. Is ebb the right word? When things slow down, like as a player, yeah. I don't know when the next time I'm going to play is. I don't know how far away it is. Like, how do you stay engaged? How do you make sure you're maximizing and preparing for whenever your next opportunity comes and, and keep that passion when it's so yeah. unknown ahead of us? Yeah, unknowns are so gnarly. I think um, 
I don't know. I think for me, what I, what I do know is that I always feel better and able to be more calm in the face of unknowns. And when things are outside of my control, when I'm really intentional and really focused on what's within my control. And I think that's like, it's so elementary to say, like, it's so easy to say that. And I've heard it my entire career control. You can let go of the rest. And it's so hard to do, I think day to day. But if you look at like the ups and downs of my career, the highs were, I was like always consistent about being really black and white about what I can control. And the lows, it was always like, well, what about this? And like ruminating on things that were, you know, coach determined or winning and losing, or in this case, like what, you know, whatever the NCAA is going to decide about volleyball, you know, and and the more you focus on that, the more anxiety inducing it is. So to me, it's like uh, honoring kind of the feeling of like, well, this isn't what I want and this kind of sucks and this is hard and allowing, you know, space for that. And then saying, all right, quite black and white, like literally what can I do right now to help me be better? Because at some point our fight with coronavirus will be over you know, whether it's six months, whether it's two years or like whatever it might be. And we're going to look back and, and like, what is the story you want to tell? Is it going to be like, well, you know, I had a great, t- I, I did everything I could. I actually got better in these ways. I was super creative and now I can add this to my game or I had an amazing time with family and I, you know, feel really fondly about it. Now I want to go, you know, crush volleyball again. Like, let's get after it. Or is it like, I just thought about what I couldn't do for six months. So to me, kind of, uh, that's one thing that helps. Like, how do I want to feel at the end of this? And then, literally, what can I do every day to live in alignment with that? So, uh, do, easier said than done, but. Do you think if you had been prepping for 2020, say, and, you know, this had happened, would during this downtime, would you be, like, setting against the wall and watching film every day? Or, I mean, <laughs> what do you picture yourself doing? Man, I don't know. I imagine, I imagine like, a little break because we just naturally didn't have too many. Uh, I would have been pretty gutted. I think. And then quickly like, all right, well, here's the game. Now we're all like the whole world's in this. We're all adjusting. So who can do it better? And there's a, there's kind of a fun in that, you know, uh, I don't know about setting against the wall, but I definitely would have been watching video for sure. And working out quite a bit. (laughs) I think for sure I would have done those. I don't know about the rest. Yeah. I was thinking about how it's such a big piece of it. Like the fairness part of it, like if it had just been, my team or just me who wasn't able to compete right now you just feel like it feels so unjust but since it's the whole world like somehow it feels i mean it doesn't make it okay but it feels okay like how even yeah. though it's the same scenario either way there's something to like as long as everybody else is in the same boat like all right i can totally. accept it i can see that i can see it yeah how's it been for you um some ways it's nice because it slows down you know like right. all of a sudden I don't know, I have time to think and, and do more podcasts and talk to people like you more. Um, but in other ways, like kind of wake up, you don't have the same mission, you know, waking up like, you know, we're on this mission to get this team as good as we can make it. And there's something so exciting and thrilling about that. And that's that's gotten lost. And just not knowing when we're going to be able to get back to it. So right. I, don't know, I go back and forth. Yeah, I can see that. And Billy, Billy was prepping for, he was trying to make a run at the Olympics and his beach season, kind of same thing. How have you been handling it, Billy? Just thought of all the wasted reps I did in the gym the last few months that are not being used. Wasted. Come no, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a point where it's definitely hard to stay motivated um, doing stuff in my garage when you can't really play volleyball and you don't know when the next tournament is. But um, I mean, on the plus side, I've definitely embraced 
some outside of volleyball hobby skills that I'm putting a lot of energy in trying to be productive with. Um, but yeah, I think we'll start getting back into, we're doing some workouts, but we'll start getting into more, uh, film and, and stuff like that to still be getting better during this time. But yeah, it's, it's definitely hard to stay as motivated. For sure. Um, what about when you weren't a starter? Like how did you still manage to stay passionate when you weren't, uh, when you maybe were coming off the bench? Yeah, man, that was such an evolution for me because uh, I was always a starter in high school and college and uh, coming off the bench for me was a huge like skill that I had to learn and I was pretty poor at it at the beginning. Um, so for me, it was like the mission didn't change, you know, and sometimes like, like let's say your your vision or your mission or whatever to to make the Olympics and then, you know, medal in the Olympics and why you want to do that is because of this, Right. And the goals are like so set for you. And then the last two months, the goals completely change, right? The whole the whole approach changes, yet your vision and mission are the same. So for me, that's how it felt uh, coming off the bench. I was like, okay, uh, my mission's still the same. I want to help my team win a gold medal. My role's different. How can I do this? So I remember telling, uh, I think the dynamic of like a position group that's competing is really unique. And I was really proud of how our setters did that on the USA team. But I remember telling Alicia Glass, uh, you know, when I started playing behind her, well, I always played behind her, but at some point leading up to the Rio games, I was like, hey, man, I, I want to be the best setter in the world. And if I'm not, I want you to be. And so I'm going to do everything I can every day to, you know, be the best I can be. And hopefully it's going to help you be the best you can be because I know we need both of us. And we brought such different skill sets that it was kind of fun to embrace that together. And to really still celebrate what she was doing and when she would have success to get just so stoked for her. And she would do the same for me. And it took a while to get there, I think, in a lot of you know open conversations and honoring that we're both super competitive and would prefer to both be the starter. But it was kind of this cool, like, respect dynamic. So for me, uh, the mission didn't change, you know. I wanted to help my team, and that became the best way that I could do it. And then I, I think focusing on what you again what you can control like it was off the table for me to to be the starter so okay what am I going to do now and uh I think not only does that help your performance but also it's way more fun when you accept you know or focus on what you can control and all of a sudden it was like oh I'm like I'm still enjoying this you know I'm not ruminating on what I'm not getting like how cool is this I get this experience and then the other the other little uh, game I kind of played with myself because I don't know if you guys have come off the bench much, but it's uh, it's hard when you don't play in a whole game to like kind of let the game go and de- or like judge like how did I do today? I didn't even play, so I started asking my uh, myself a few questions after the match of like, uh, did I support my teammates? Uh, did I have fun? And was I ready to go in at any moment? And if I could answer those like three things and be like, yeah, I was like, okay, you played a good game. So that was like a fun little way that helped me uh, stay accountable. That's great to kind of change the scoreboard when, you know, some of that stuff's out of your control and you, you can find a new scoreboard. That's yeah, important to you. For sure. Um, did you ever have any, or do you have a, like a low point that stands out that you could share and, and maybe something you use to help you find a spark to get back into being the passionate person you are? Yeah. So many low points. Yeah. <laughs> like just so many like moments where I'm like, Oh my God, if people could hear me right now, you know, and wanting to quit or just being so focused on things that I couldn't control. And I, well, one's coming to mind more of a compliment, I think, to Karch. Uh, 
But I there was one I it might have been the World Cup where I got cut from before the I got cut from both World Cup teams. But the one before the Rio Olympics was really tough for me. And uh, I remember he had a, a meeting and, you know, he's like, hey, we, you know, we need to debrief this. And I was like, I don't want to. I don't want to see you. I don't talk to you. You just cut me from the team. And anyway, we, we had this meeting and he was like, I want you to let me have it. You know, and I was like really emotional and just thinking not clearly and, and you know, frustrated and all those things. And he just created space for me to really share kind of like all these negative things that I was feeling, a lot of which were towards him and the decision he made. And I thought it was like the most, I was such a cool thing for a coach to do. And so humble and such a good example, you know? And I remember finishing like all of these negative things that I would be embarrassed to say right now. And he was like, Courtney, I, I get it. And if I were you, I'd probably feel the same way. And he was like, and I love your fire so much. And if you weren't who you are, you wouldn't be feeling this way. And this is what, you know, and we're going to move forward and this is where I want to go, blah, blah, blah. But I say that because I think you do have to feel uh, the negative stuff, you know, and be okay when like, and especially if you're passionate, things are going to hurt, you know? And if you're really putting yourself out there and going for something and you don't get it, it's okay that it, it's frustrating and sad and whatever. So to me, there was always like the bottom of needing to get that stuff out, whether it was talking to Karch or, you know, another a teammate or calling my parents and crying and telling them I wanted to quit for the 80th time, you know, and then it's like, OK, what am I really going to do? What am I going to be about in this moment? So uh, I, th I think it's important to kind of honor both sides of like optimizing thinking and, uh, you know, training your thoughts to be like really productive and then also just being able to sit in the hard times sometimes. So then what did you do to bounce back from being cut and after that conversation? Oh, usually it was like, uh, you know, express it, kind of let myself feel bad for a minute and then really get back to what's the vision, like the long term that's important to me. And then what can I do today to move towards it? Really? Like, it's as simple as that. And I always talk about like vision and control. What can I do today to just move the needle? And even if it's slight, I always know, like, I was always happier and always more motivated and more, you know, fired up when I was uncommonly consistent on what was within my control hmm. makes sense and it's yeah. a really powerful story to hear like that Karch created that space but i'm picturing maybe coaches doing that and then the player like oh, i'm not going to be honest with you like i you know I, I don't or not you know maybe thinking it's like a trap so i guess how do how do cards make you feel safe enough to yeah to really be clear and honest with him in that situation that's true i can see how that story could go south out of context uh <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, well, I had known Karch for a long time before that, and he was my coach for seven years up to then. So we had just, I think it was like, uh, he knows me really well. I knew him really well. And that's probably why we were able to do that. But I just think it was so cool of him and strong of him. And, uh, I don't think every time it wasn't like that, but in that moment he knew kind of that's what was needed maybe. But I think the trust was so high just cause I had known him for so long. That was part one with Courtney Thompson. Join us next week for part two here on Coach Your Brains Out by Gold Medal Squares.